are those little things that we don't necessarily always pay attention to, but that steal away from our joy and our, the fullness that it is that Christ wants us to live in, right? So the theme for the year this year has been John 10 verse 10, which says that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but Jesus has come that he may give us life and life in abundance or life to the full. And that is why we are doing this series. We want every single member of this church to, li- to live a life to the full. And the only way that we can do that is in Christ. And the only way that we can do that is if we're also paying attention to these little foxes. So in the first week we did, um, Alden, uh, Richard did on competition and comparison, which is something that we are all very familiar with and something that most of us have failed in. We also did a, um, a section on envy um, and jealousy. And last week, Pastor Chris did um, on anger, fits of rage. And that is something that we are all guilty of as well. Amen. And this morning, we'll do idolatry. So many of you may think, well, okay, well, why is it that idolatry is wrong? So let's um, go to the scriptures. Uh, and before I do, let's just pray. Um, Lord, I just want to thank you for this time that I can share this word. Lord, I pray that you would prepare the hearts of your people, Lord, that the words that are spoken, Lord God, will be your word um, and not mine, Lord, Uh, that it will fall on fertile soil um, and that it will reap a harvest. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we can spend in your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just convict in your gentle way that you do um, where it is, Lord, that we are guilty um, of these sins and these shortcomings. And Lord, I pray that our obvious response would be uh, repentance. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why is it wrong to worship idols? So we are all very familiar with the Ten Commandments, correct? And the Ten Commandments are shown over there, and it's in Exodus uh, chapter 20. And in verse 1 it says, And God spoke all these words. And skipping to verse 3 it says, Number 1, you shall have no other gods before me. Number 2, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. So it's a command that was given. And from that point of view, I'd like to dismiss you guys. Uh, we all accept it, and you guys can leave. <laughs> Correct? No. Well, so what we're going to do today is we'll, we'll break this down. And what's great about Christianity um, and about serving the kind of God that we serve is that he's given us an intellect. Correct? And from that point of view, we are questioning beings. We are the kind of people that question things. Everything needs to be debated. And I mean, I think the scriptures are probably the only ones where there's a whole book dedicated in Job to a debate between Job and his friends and then Job and God. And it's a debate. It's it's a debate that God welcomes. He says, question me. It's fine. I'm not so insecure that I cannot stand up to your questions. Amen? And in Romans, we have um, this beautiful piece of literature that's written by the Apostle Paul, where Paul lays out a defense for the gospel. And he does it in a systematic and reasoning way. And that is what God expects of us. When we come to his word, he doesn't expect us to check our brains at the door and open the Bible and just accept what is in there, right? He encourages us to question him. Because in that questioning, that is where our faith gets deeper and gets rooted. So that's what we'll do today. We'll dig into the word to understand why is it that idolatry is wrong. Um, So what is the definition of an idol? It is an image or representation of a god used as an object of worship. And some of the synonyms are icon, which is a representation, 
a god, an image, a likeness, a fetish, a totem, which is a pole or a, um, a statue, a figure, a figurine, a doll, and a carving. And so what are the things that are in your head right now? You're thinking, okay, cool. Um, I don't have any of those things at home, right? I don't have a figure, I don't have a doll, I don't have a statue. There's nothing necessarily that I need to go and tear down at home. So what is this preaching about? Like, what is the point? Um, and pretty much this is what we have in mind when we read that definition. Uh, so this is Baal Hadad or Rahman. Uh, sometimes it'll just be referred to as Baal in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and Ashtoreth. Um, and these were the two main uh, gods in the land of Canaan that the Israelites were going into. Right? So they had been set free from Egypt. Um, Moses had led them out. And the book of Exodus explains about them leaving the Exodus, the Exodus, out of Egypt and into the promised land. And they are going into the land of Canaan, and God has given them this instruction that they should have no other gods. And why is he saying this? Because the land that they're going into, these are the gods that dominate there. And we know that this is God with a small g, right? So this is not a real God. Behind these gods are demons. Okay? And these particular gods over there, so Baal Hadad, or, um, or Raman, he was the god of the rain. And this morning we have this lovely rain to thank God for. So if we were worshipping Baal Hadad, we would thank him. But we know that Baal Hadad is just a demon. Ashtoreth, she was the, the chief goddess in this land. And she was the goddess under the moon. She was the goddess of fertility. And she also evolved over time and became the god of lust. And under uh, the influence of the sun, what was she? She was the goddess of war. And so God is taking his people into this land, filled with these small gods, these demons that rule. And what happens is that as they go into um, the land of Canaan, or as they're about to go into the, prom like into the promised land, they get to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, um, God says that he wants to come down and meet with his people. So you must remember, the Israelites have experienced God in an amazing way. They saw the plagues in Egypt. They saw God's mighty hand against the Egyptian Pharaoh. And the Egyptian Pharaoh, you must understand, was God to the Egyptians. He was the physical representation of God on earth. And that is why he could do as he pleased. And so they saw their mighty God, the one true God, humble the Egyptian Pharaoh, bring him to his knees, and let the people go. And so they go to the Red Sea, and what happens? The Red Sea parts, and God displays his glory for them, and they cross through on dry land. And now they get to Mount Sinai, and God says, I want to meet with you. I want to meet with your people, with my people. And the people are fearing this, because all they see is thunder and lightning and clouds descending upon Mount Sinai. And they tell Moses, listen, Moses, this story doesn't look so like eh? So... Uh, <laughs> How about you go and you come back and you tell us what he said, okay? Because there's no ways that we can come up that mountain because we will die. So Moses says, okay, fine. You guys stay here. And you know what? I'm going to put my booty in charge. So Aaron, my big brother, he's going to look after you guys while I go. So Moses goes up and he's on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And it's taking a bit long. And the, the Israelites are like, oh, I wonder what's happened to Moses. Moses must have died. You know, he's coming down. All we see is thunder and lightning and, 
you know, this awesomeness on the mountain, but there's no Moses. So where is he? And so they turn to, like, to Aaron, and they're like, Aaron, we need help. We're lost. We're leaderless. And Aaron, who is the chief priest of the Israelites, Moses' big brother, he tells him, well, you know what we should do? Give me all your gold. Give me all the gold that, is that we brought out of Egypt. And what I'm going to do is I'll fashion for you a cow, a golden calf. And you know what? We're going to worship this golden calf. And Aaron takes it even further and he says, look, here is your God, the God that led you out of Egypt. And I don't know if you can see it, but in this painting on the far left over there in that darkness, there's Moses coming down from the mountain with the tablets, with the Ten Commandments, and he's throwing them down in disgust. How could this people, who had seen God move in a mighty way, turn so quickly away from the one true God and start worshipping a golden calf? And there's something that you need to understand about the, like the Israelites. The Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years. So Joseph had went to, uh, to Egypt, and then he had brought his family across as well, and they prospered in Egypt. And he had favor with the king, with Pharaoh, and because of that, the Israelites prospered, and they multiplied. I mean, by this stage, there were a few million of them when they left Egypt. So they were a mighty, mighty tribe, right? And, but then after Joseph, um, new kings started coming through, new pharaohs. And these pharaohs didn't know Joseph, and they didn't respect the Israelites. And so the Israelites were in But for 400 years, they served um, in the same way that the Egyptians did. In Egypt, there was a God for everything. There was a God for the rain, there was a God for the sun, there was a God for a moon, there was a God for the animals, and of course there was Pharaoh himself who was God represented. So from that point of view, the Israelites only understood this form of worship. This is what they had been exposed to for 400 years. And isn't that often how we are as well? So we're judging them now very harshly, looking at this and thinking this is ludicrous. But at the same time, the Bible says, um, do not be so carnally minded. Carnally minded means of the flesh. And carnally minded is not a negative thing. Okay? Carnally minded or of the flesh just means of the five senses. The five senses are the things that we can touch, see, taste, and hear. And the Israelites had experienced God in a very carnal way. They parted through the Red Sea. They could see God's awesome, mighty works. They tasted God because he sent manna from heaven, and they experienced him in a very real way, in a tangible way. But they still turned away from him. And God actually calls us to a new form of worship, of worship that is spirit and truth. That is a far more pure, far more intimate form of worship. So don't desire to see God necessarily. God says we need to be spirit, worship him in spirit and in truth. So do we still need to pay attention to these two commandments? So the first commandment being you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of Oh, you shall have no other gods before me. I mean, we can agree on that. But who are the other gods? There are no other gods, right? So, I mean, is it really relevant to like, pay attention to this? Number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. 
I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but I mean, how many of you have bowed down to a statue? Please don't put up your hand. Um, how, how many of us have actually gone to a piece of wood and thought to themselves, wow, this piece of wood is my God? Probably not many, like many of us. And from that point of view, is this still relevant? But let's go to Romans 1, verse 18 to 20, 25. Because we're looking at the Old Testament, and some of you may say, oh, but the Old Testament was written three and a half thousand years ago. The Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, were written by, Mo, by, by Mo, Moses. And that's three and a half thousand years ago. Our culture has evolved, has it not? We have PhDs, we have education, we have science, we have technology. Right? That's the Old Testament. So let's look at the New Testament. So in Romans 1, verse 18 to 25, and as I mentioned, this is Paul's beautiful piece of work where he's laying out um, a defense for the gospel. And he says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is modern man. You must understand the Roman Empire was a beautiful empire. These were educated people that Paul is writing to. He's not writing to uh, backward people who are hiding away in mud huts somewhere. He's speaking to people who belong to the Roman Empire. And he says that their unrighteousness has suppressed the truth. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. The fact of the matter is, church, that every single one of us know that there is a God. Every single one of us. If you go all the way back through time, man has been worshipping something because man understands that outside of himself, none of this beauty that we see around us can come from us. It cannot be a happy accident. We are not evolved from monkeys. I'm sorry. Like the intricacies and the moral standard that it is that we set for ourselves and the way that we hold ourselves to a higher calling, we are not an evolved monkey. And from that point of view, no man has excuse, it says. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. We have science, we have technology, we have universities, we have degree upon degree, but we are foolish in our approach to this world. And in exchange, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. And this is the thing, and I'll delve a little bit more into what are the idols that we put up for ourselves. But our thoughts and our thinking are definitely an, like an idol. Atheism that says there is no God is a God unto itself. What does it elevate? It elevates thinking, it elevates man, it elevates science. And that becomes our God. 
But how many of you know that following something as abstract as science can only lead to destruction? Because if you're following science, where does moral behavior come in? Where does right and wrong and good and evil come in if all that you adhere to is science? If you remove God, there is no moral standard. If you remove God, there is no right and wrong. Everything is relative. You cannot tell me that it is wrong to look at child pornography if there is no right and wrong. You cannot tell me that it is wrong for me to murder somebody if there is no God. What makes you decide what is right and what is wrong? It's about what feels good to me. And that is what our society has become. We've become pleasure seekers. We seek out what it is that makes us feel good. It's all about me. And that is the root of the problem on earth. We have removed our need of God and we have slain him on the altar of knowledge, materialism and pleasure. And we find that we have no need to acknowledge that there is something greater than ourselves because we are living our best lives right now, right here. And that's it. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14, and in the Amplified Version, it says, Therefore, my beloved, run. Keep far, far away from any sort of idolatry. And that includes loving anything more than God or participating in anything that leads to sin and enslaves the soul. And that is the definition of idolatry. That is an idol. Not a figure or a figurine. Yes, it can be those things as well. But I want to put it to you that most of us here do not suffer with that. Most of us do, do not think that a, a chunk of metal or a chunk of stone is our God. But we do put so many things in front of our God. Even though I'm preaching to the converted, the people sitting here on a Sunday morning when it's raining and cold in winter, you guys are not the... You guys are the fanatics, right? Like you are the guys that are interested in the word, correct? But even we are guilty of this. Even we are putting things in our heart ahead of God. The human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. What does that mean? It means that if you do not worship something, you will find something to worship. Okay? That is just it. Whether it's reasoning and thought, science and technology, whether it's our family, whether it's love itself, it can be good things as well. We can love good things more than we love God. But ultimately, that leads to destruction. It was put really well by Benjamin D'Israeli, who was um, a British prime minister in the 1800s. And he says, man is made to adore and to obey. But if you will not command him, if you give him nothing to worship, he will fashion his own divinities and find a chieftain in his own passions. And as Namibia, we have to admit that Namibia is well-churched, right? We, it's, it, it's our culture that we are a Christian nation. 95%, what is it? 95% Christian, right? We are a well-churched nation. So you can't tell us anything when it comes to um, Christianity. But are we a well-discipled nation? I don't think so. If we were a well-discipled nation... Would we have gender-based violence? Would we have the massacring and the, and the murder on our roads? Because it's murder, guys, the way that it's going on. Would we have the unemployment that we have right now? Would we have half of Vintuk living in shacks if we were a well-discipled like, nation? Let's not blame apartheid. 
and the government and the politicians and whatever else. It is up to every single one of us to make sure that this nation prospers. God wants to prosper this nation. And he wants to do it through his people. And that's you and I. Amen. So what are some of the idols that we fashion for ourselves? Because we've established that most of us don't struggle with physical things, right? Like a statue or a, or a carving. But what are the idols that we've recreated for ourselves in our modern times? It's things like career. It's things like family. It's things like money, pleasure, culture. That's a big one, eh? Culture's a big one. Especially in the Namibian context. And coming back to why it is that we are a church or a well-church nation, but not a well-discipled nation. How many of us have been exposed in some form or other to worship of the ancestors and worship of uh, the holy fire and tradition and culture? No, but that's the way that we've been doing it. You don't understand. Don't, don't, don't come with your Western way of thinking and your Western philosophies, okay? This is Africa. And in Africa, we do certain things and this is how it's been done from generation to generation to generation. It's my culture. Huh? It's my culture. Don't, don't, don't mess with my culture. You see, what you're trying to do right there is you're trying to colonize my mind and my thinking again. No, 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 no. We need to break down the colonial way of thinking. Huh? These are clever arguments, and it sounds good, but the fact of the matter is God says you cannot, Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to love the one and hate the other. Amen? We cannot serve our culture and God. And don't get me wrong. All these things that I'm putting up here are good things. These are not bad things. Culture is not a bad thing. And your, and your tradition and everything like that, and your family traditions are not bad. They are good. But where it is that it unseats God from his rightful place, you need to discard it. You have to put it away. It has no place in the kingdom of God. It has no place when it, when it comes to serving the one true God, when it comes to serving Jesus Christ. Amen? You cannot have it both ways. You cannot serve culture and God. Um, possessions. Possessions is a big one. Eh? We are, and I mean, we, we heard it from, from Elder Richard, this competition that we have, right? Keeping up with the Joneses. This need to consume and get the latest gadget at all costs. We slave away all day in our jobs, not seeing our family, not seeing our friends, in order to buy the things that we don't need, to impress the people that we don't like, the Joneses, with money that we don't have, debt. Huh? And so we keep driving ourselves, we keep pushing ourselves, we keep exerting all of our effort into these things that own us. We do not own these things. These things own us. Yeah? Possessions and materialism has become a big driver, a big idol in our society. It's something that many of us need to repent of. Fame. We've coined the term viral. You guys know viral, right? So viral is actually to do with disease and infection. Okay? But when I say the word viral to any of you, what do you think? Huh? YouTube, you think Facebook, you think those WhatsApp videos that, that went viral. And everybody's doing something to get noticed. Everybody wants their five seconds of fame. And anybody can have it if you just do something ludicrous enough that people will share it. 
you know? So let me push the envelope a little bit more, right? I know that this is not necessarily accepted, but can you imagine the likes that I'm going to get when this thing goes viral? And you know what? Then, 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 then I can start spinning something out of this. Who knows? I can even make a career out of this, right? And we start living these lives trying to impress people that we don't know and trying to get affection from people that we don't know. What's another one? Family. Family is also a big one, eh? And family is not a bad thing. I mean, family is, is God's design, right? God instituted the, the concept of family. A man and a wife and children. Um, and last week, Pastor Chris spoke about family as well when it comes to uh, fits of anger. No, 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 you don't understand. In the Hustleman clan, we are warm-blooded people. It's just the way that we are. Okay, it's in my DNA. It was passed on from generation to, like, to generation. This is how we do things, okay? And if, if I misbehave a little bit, and if I knock your lights out, it's not me. It's just, it's just the way that I am. It's my family, right? This is how we are. My family, my parents, my kids, my spouse. Um, yeah, these things are more important to us than, than God sometimes. And they're not bad things. They're good things. We also elevate, yeah, so we elevate our family above God. Our children and our spouses take precedence. And in fact, we've got a new generation of parents called helicopter parents. Anybody familiar with the term helicopter parents? Yeah. So a helicopter pa parent is somebody that's hovering over their kids all the time. <laughs> Making sure that, that little Johnny doesn't scrape a knee, doesn't bump his elbow, doesn't hang out with that bad kid at school. Make sure that little Johnny, like everything that Johnny needs, Johnny gets, okay? No, 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 like Johnny's not misbehaving. He's, he's just a bit tired, okay? He's a little tired, you know? And, and Johnny never hears no. Never, 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 never. Johnny gets anything that he wants. Helicopter parents, that's the new generation. It's something that my wife and I need to uh, guard against because we know so many helicopter parents and so often we ourselves are helicopter parents. We've created concepts like play dates. Play dates. <laughs> huh? Okay, so those of you that don't have kids, a play date is where you get your kid and another kid together at a cool little venue and they go berserk, right? So there's all these like venues that have popped up all over town. So there's joyous noise and there's all these play parks where kids can have fun and stuff like that. And it's hilarious because the only reason why the adults are there are to sit there and to have their kids have a play date, you know, and play around with whatever other kids. We're playing matchmaker for our children, you know. I don't know. I don't get it. Entertainment. We've become addicted to entertainment. Eh? God forbid. Who's been in this awkward situation, right? So you get in the elevator, a whole bunch of strangers, and you're standing there, you reach for your phone, and your battery died. Like, okay, what am I going to do now? <laughs> this is awkward. So awkward. So awkward. Now I've got to look Richard in the eye. <laughs> Maybe even say hello. Well, who's ever been in this really, really? This is like, this is terrible. You get to the loo, you close the door, 
sit and you reach for your phone and the phone's not there. What am I going to do in the loo for five whole minutes without my smartphone? What am I going to do? I, I can't just sit here in quiet. Okay, it's not that much quiet, but yeah. Do you know that, that Hollywood, the music industry, the video game industry, the tech industry, these are industries that didn't exist about 100 years ago. Right, so about 100, which is not a long time, guys. 100 years in the history of humanity is a very short space of time. 100 years, it didn't exist. And today, it's estimated that the media and entertainment industry in the USA alone is estimated at about 771 billion US dollars in 2019. 771 billion US dollars. And the US entertainment and media industry makes up about a third of the global. So it's about 2.4 trillion US dollars on entertainment. Huh? It's fascinating. So what's happened to quiet time, guys? What's happened to like the ability to just sit still? You know, and listen. And I don't mean putting on the worship music and pumping it there and everything like that and singing along. I mean just silence. Sitting there, listening to God, reading His Word, and saying, God, speak to me through your Word. Let me meditate on you day and night, as the Word says we should do. It says in Psalms 46, it says, be still and know that I am God. Jesus says in Matthew 6 verse 6, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. It says that Jesus went out in the still of the morning to go and pray. When nobody was awake. It's important that we be quiet. We do not need to be entertained all the time. The lack of money is the root of all evil, says Mark Twain. Is that true? I wonder. But I mean, the thing is, but surely, like, if somebody lacks something, right, that's evil. We should all have everything that we want all the time, right? It's not good enough. Just, like, God wants us to be abundant, guys, right? Huh? Yeah, it, it is. But maybe we're taking that out of con context. Um. The world's view of money is very distorted. It's very distorted. And it says that to lack is evil. And that to have less is evil. But it says that God will supply all our needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's got nothing to do with material possessions. It's got nothing to do with money. It's got everything to do with our needs. And what is our need? Our need is to have a saviour. That is our need. That is our only need. Our only ultimate need. And in James 1 verse 4 it says that we must endure the testing of our faith so that we can grow to be steady, perfect and complete so that we can lack nothing. Again, it's not about material things. It's about our character that James 1 verse 4 speaks. The Bible says that we should store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy it. So the Bible's constantly pointing us in the direction that we should go. 
and, point, and pointing our hearts in the directions that we should go. And money is not bad. Money is not a bad thing. Money is a tool that we use. And the Bible is also clear in Ecclesiastes when it says that money answers a multitude of questions. It does. First Timothy um, 6 verse 10 says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And that is the crux of the matter. God does not want to, to deny you money. That is not what he's after. What he's after is your heart. And he doesn't want you to put money ahead of him. He doesn't want you to elevate money in your heart so that there's no more space for him and no more space where you can hear what he wants to say to you and what he wants to give you. We have turned money into our hope and security. Money has become the thing that we turn to when we're in trouble. Money is the source of our trouble as well. And money is the thing that dominates so much of our day. So much of our day, 8 to 5, is about money. But God says that he wants your heart. Power. Power is also something that many people, stri- like many people struggle with. And Lord Acton gave this very famous quote where it says, I cannot accept your canon that we are to judge Pope and King unlike other men with a favorable presumption that they do no wrong. If there is any presumption, it is the other way, against holders of power. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And again, power is not a bad thing. Power is good. Power is influence. But let's make sure that we do not let power corrupt us, so that when we get into positions of power, that there is no space for God anymore. As we climb the corporate ladder, as we climb in the political space, you may be working in government and maybe you have aspirations of one day becoming a minister. And I hope that it is for you. I hope that God has that in store for you. But make sure that you do not corrupt yourself along the way. Make sure you don't scratch too many backs. Don't scratch any backs. Don't offer any man anything except the labor of love. Do not owe them anything. Make sure that you haven't sold your soul in order to get to the top. And that's the problem that we have with politicians, right? Is that they've made so many compromises and broken so many promises that by the time that they get to the top, there is no backbone, there is no integrity, there is no principle left. And we tell ourselves the lie that when I get to the top, I'll make a difference. That it's worth it. That it's okay. I, I, like, like, I need to just say this. I just need to tell this one lie. I just need to be corrupted just this little bit. Because when I get to the top, then I can really make a difference. Think about all those starving children and all those kids without like, an education. And think about all the changes that I can make on a policy level if I can get to the top. Even if I need to compromise a little bit, it's okay. The Bible says in in Daniel 2.21 that God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. It is not us that promotes ourselves. It is God that promotes us. Amen? The word says promotion comes from God. So from that point of view, if your destiny is the top, and I hope that it is the top, I hope that you can stand in those hallowed halls of parliament and make decisions around laws. I hope that you can get to the top 
as CEO of a big multinational company. I hope that you can get to the top, but do not compromise yourself along the way to get there. If it is your destiny, God will open the doors that need to be opened and shut those doors that don't. Amen? This is the next one. So my, the plane caught on fire. I probably need to evacuate. But first, let me take a selfie. And what does this speak to? This speaks to our need for approval. Eh? We're the selfie generation. The selfie generation that has selfie syndrome. And social media is turning us into narcissists. What is a na narcissist? A narcissist, uh, narcissistic personality disorder involves a preoccupation with self and how one is perceived by others. Narcissists pursue gratification from vanity and the admiration of their own physical and intellectual attributes. This is a serious psychological disorder, guys. This is, this is not something to be tri trifled with. This is a heavy, I mean, if you go and study psychology, you're going to learn about this, and you're going to try and identify those people, right? Uh, and then what you're going to do is you're going to try and make sure that they go and they sit in the nut house so that they don't hurt the other people, okay? Because narcissists and people that really get bad, they tend to be psychopaths. And psychopaths then don't have um, empathy. They don't understand what it means that other people feel pain. So narcissism is a precursor to, psycho to psychopathy, right? And when you read that, does it not sound very s familiar to what it is that many of us are going through on social media? Is social media turning us into narcissists that need approval, that need other people to like things that we are posting up on Facebook? I need to take this picture, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, a hundred times, to make sure that the angle and the lighting and the angle, you know, because it can't be this side, it needs to be that side, because <laughs> this is my good side. And, uh, oh, oh, and also, but, I mean, the special location, you know, I'm on holiday right now, and I just need to stand in front of this little thing over here and show everybody like, hey, look at my amazing holiday. Yes, I know, I'm fantastic. And then we post it up on Facebook or whatever, and then we get those likes. And you know what? Oh, we even got a love. Oh, I wonder who loves me. <laughs> and we're so addicted to this approval of other people to the hundreds of friends that we have on Facebook, the hundreds of followers that we have on Twitter. And I won't say who the megalomaniac is, but there's certain megalomaniacs that, you know, are just out there trying to get a reaction on Twitter. And they post the most absurd things on Twitter, and their followers foam at the mouth, can't get ready to retweet this stuff, this nonsense. Huh? But what does the word say? The word says that our identity is found in Christ. It says in Galatians 3, 26 to 28, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our identity does not come from the amount of likes and the amount of loves that we get on social media or the amount of retweets that we get. 
our identity is found in Christ. In Colossians 3, verse 1 to 3, it says, verse 1 to 3, it says that, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Psalms 139, 13 to 15 talks, it's a beautiful psalm. And he talks about how God has knitted me together in my mother's womb. That he knows all my days. That he knows my coming and my going. I can go down to the pit. I can go into darkness and there he is. I cannot flee him. He's always with me. And so our identity is in Christ. Our identity is not in social media and in the likes of others. And what's interesting about the, de- like, about what the enemy does, right, is that he doesn't come to you necessarily with good and evil. Because, yeah, we do get presented oftentimes with a good and an evil choice. And in that moment, I hope that all of us will be like, well, you've got to go good. I'm not going to kill this guy, right? But the devil will often come and dress things up as good. And so then oftentimes the choice becomes between best and good. What is best? Best is always God. Whatever God says to you, whatever God's word says about you, that is what you should always choose. But the devil will come and present good to you as well. And he'll dress it up in a lie. And it started right at the beginning with the original sin when Satan came and said, did God really say? A good mother, a good father would do this. How can you be generous with your time? Think about your important career. Think about like all the things that you need to get done. You can't still serve in church. There's no time for that. And to get ahead, I need to you know, scratch a few back, uh, backs and break a few eggs. You know, I need to pay a little bribe there and owe a little favor over here. Because I need to get ahead. Because when I get to the top, I'll be able to help so many people. The devil do- doesn't always come to you with black and white. He comes to you with subtle shades of gray. So why is it that God wants us to worship him and him alone? Why is it that he wants us to set all of these things aside? All these idols, all, this, all these distractions. Number one, he's a perfect being. And he's worthy of praise. He is all powerful, he is all knowing, he is all present, and he's outside of time. How can we not but want to worship this being? And to call him a being is beneath him. You know? He's so much more than that. Like words fail us. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning was God. Revelations 1 verse 8 um, speaks about the glory of God. And in Exodus 3 verse 14 to 15, um, also speaks about the glory of God. Um, His beautiful and wonderful works. All of creation calls out to him both heaven and earth. Look at the person sitting next to you. Like, look them straight in the eye. Like, look deep. Like, really deep. The person that you're sitting next to is created by God. That being sitting there right next to you is an eternal being. That person sitting next to you is beautiful. That person sitting next to you is of God. Amen? He's made in the image of God. How can we not worship God 
when he's made these beautiful creatures sitting right here? Right? How can we accept that this world is just a happy accident, that we are evolved from monkeys? How can we accept what science says of us, that, you know, that there is no God? We can't. It's not possible. If you look at the creature sitting next to you, this divine, eternal being. And look at creation itself as well. It's beautiful. Um, he's, rede he's redeeming mercy. So this is our God who is so far bigger and so far greater than us. People hypothesize and say that the universe is so big. How can it there only be us in this universe? Why are there so many galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies? Why are there so many stars? There's got to be more. And we're sending out um, satellites and we're trying to like see what is out there and we're trying to find other places that potentially we could inhabit and maybe where there's intelligent life form but so far we found nothing and in fact science has proven that the chances of life existing anywhere else is astronomically small that you need all the right ingredients in just the right way for life to exist let me give you an interesting fact Earth supports life because of Saturn. Saturn is a very dense planet with a ring, with the rings around it, right? And from that point of view, because it's so dense, it's got a very strong gravitational force. And so Saturn becomes our guardian. Asteroids should be hitting us like a ping pong ball, day in and day out, and should be wiping us out, wiping out civilization day in and day out. But what happens? Saturn is the ping-pong ball, and it attracts all the asteroids, and it hits Saturn. And that's why life exists here. And that's one of the many, many, many requirements that you need for life to exist on one planet. And why did God create all of this fabulousness, this exorbitant universe? For his glory. Because he's worthy. Why? Because I can. Because all of creation cries out, how beautiful he is and how wonderful he is. How can we not but worship this amazing creator? But then he still gives us redeeming mercy. The creator who doesn't need us, who doesn't need us, and who's so far greater than us, sends his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. How does that make sense? How is that even possible that, Jesus, that God would demean himself to become like his creation and die for us. And God is good towards us. He's merciful towards us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And what's great about this creation that he's created is that we are his crowning glory. And in Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And in a different translation it says, your acceptable worship. That is our purpose. Our purpose is to worship our God. And He is worthy of praise. You can look at everything around you, and the only response that we can have as beings is to worship him. And the only thing that is acceptable 
is to give of ourselves, our bodies. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that is the ultimate truth. The ultimate truth is that if you are lost, if you do not understand why it is that you exist, if you feel like your life is a waste, that is the truth. The truth is the only way that you're going to find purpose and meaning in this life is to worship the Creator, to come back to the one who is the source of your being, to come back to the one who gave you that breath in your lungs. That is the only response. That's the only appropriate response. So in conclusion, idol worship is still alive today, correct? I mean, we've established that. We've established the fact that there are idols all around us. They may be even sitting next to us, okay? Not because of anything that they have done, but because of our wicked hearts, yeah? There are idols sitting everywhere. And God expects us to lay that down, to set all of it aside, because all of it pales in comparison to how beautiful and how amazing and how worthy of worship our God is. Amen? And finally, in our pursuit of Him, we discover our purpose. We are not the point. He is the point. Right? So don't pursue purpose to try and understand yourself better. Pursue Him and you will understand yourself better. The world will tell you that the truth lies inside of you. No, it doesn't. Okay? The truth is God. The truth is a person. The truth is Jesus Christ. He is a person that lived and walked this earth. He is the truth. He is the absolute. He is the moral standard. And everything else pales in comparison. Amen? Amen. Cool. Can we stand up? Can we close our eyes and bow our heads? Um, and I just want to pray for every single one of us. I'm not going to ask anybody to lift their hands. But I want you just to think about what it is that you've elevated in your life above God. And we are all guilty. Every single one of us, myself included. At one time or another, we have elevated something else and superseded God and supplanted Him, set Him aside because of fear, because of our thinking, because of our bad habits, because of the lack and the brokenness that we come out of. Yes, we are saved and we are redeemed and we have this new spirit man inside of us, but many times our thinking still needs to be transformed, like it says in Romans um, 12 verse 2. We need to transform our minds. And Lord, I pray that you will transform our minds, Lord, every single one of us, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us a desire to read your word, the word of God. And as we read the word that, that God will start to work on us and that he will start to transform us and get our thinking patterns right and get us to understand what it is that he is, what you are, Lord, and what it is that our pure and acceptable worship needs to be, Lord God. What our adoration and where our affection should lie, Lord God. Where our heart should point towards, Lord, and it should always be towards Lord, I ask that you would help us to set aside everything, Lord God, everything that hinders our love for you, Lord. 
Lord, because we know that in our pursuit of you, Lord God, as we love you more and more, that we will love your creation more and more. We will be better parents, Lord God. We will be better citizens, Lord. We will be better brothers and sisters, Lord. We will be better workers. We will be better business people, Lord God, if we pursue you and you first and foremost, Lord. Pursue him and all of these things will be added unto us. Lord, burn that into our hearts. Tattoo it on our souls, Lord God. May we understand where our hope comes from. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that this week that we are going to tear down, Lord, those statues. That we're going to tear down those totem poles, Lord God. That we're going to tear down those altars that we've built, Lord God. And that we will put you in your rightful place. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you are sitting here and you have never made a decision to give your heart, to give your life to Christ, to say, Lord Jesus, you are my Savior. If that is you, I want you to raise your hand. If there's anybody here today that needs to make a decision to follow Jesus, be bold, raise your hand. This is a moment that God has set aside for every single one of us. And I thank God that so many of us sitting here have made that decision. But if that's you and you do not know, please raise your hand. There's nobody that's raised their hand. But if after the service you want to come and you want to speak to any of us, we'll be waiting here in front and we'll be happy to pray with you. If there's any needs that anybody has, Please come and spend some time with us here in front. We are at your service. And now, Lord, I pray that you would bless your people. I pray, Lord God, that we would have a wonderful week. Thank you, Lord God, for your word and for this passion, Lord, that we have for your word. Lord, I pray that you will bring it, that you, Holy Spirit, that you will make it alive for us, that we will see it every day and in every way, Lord God, how it is that we are being uh, modeled, Lord, to be more like Christ. Show us, Lord God, how it is that we can be more like you. Lord, I pray that you would give us a good week and help us to be witnesses, Lord God. Help us to be um, your ambassadors, Lord God, in all that we do. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name.